Well, good morning. Thanks for braving the snow and coming on out to church. I love seeing some smiley faces this morning. If you've never been, welcome. Welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron Master. I'm a pastor here. Um, if you've never been to a service, you'll notice we're a bit different than a traditional church in our style, but we want you to know that we still see the Bible as authority here. We take God seriously, and we have a goal to encourage you to take the next step in your relationship with God every week that you're here. This week, what we're doing is we're kicking off this new series called Christmas Spirit, the right way. Because I don't know if you're aware of it yet, but like Christmas is here. The decorations, all the things for Christmas, it's happening. The fun, the excitement, the holiday cheer. If you're witnessing all of this, either here or out and about, you're going to need some Christmas spirit, right? Because all of that comes with matching jammies, your spouse pressuring you to decorate outside in the cold, that'll be me today, cutting the tree, fighting off toddlers to climb up the tree and your animals to get up there, extra on extra on extra family time, the gift buying, the wrapping, the preparing the perfect dinner for Christmas, the perfect ambiance, the best holiday party. These can be fun, but many times these come with expectation and frustration and worry and stress. So much so that it puts pressure on us and it bums so many, us, uh, so many of us out this time of year and doesn't really let us fully enjoy it. It's, if it's not stressing us out today, I think you've either been born Elf or Scrooge. You're one or the other. Like Scrooge being one who literally does nothing different around Christmas. You're like, oh, it's Christmas? I don't even know. I don't even notice. Or elf, meaning you're a good worker this time of year. You're hustling. You're putting so much effort into it all season long because it's fun to you, but you're most likely missing out on the reason for the holiday, the true meaning, the true purpose behind the traditions, and not fully embracing the joy that actually comes with it because you're busy. You're hustling. So that's what we're going to cover this, this three-week series, is we're going to look at three particular things that happen around the Christmas time that I believe were started by the Christian Christmas story and are fully honorable to God when we do them well, but they can also be the thing that hijacks the holiday from us and it's honor to Jesus. So the three things we're going to cover in this series is gifts, family time, and the main event, Christmas Day. We all know these are huge parts of the holiday time, but we're going to look at like, what parts these actually had in the biblical Christmas story, but then also help us learn how to handle them in a God-honoring way this year. My hope is after this month, this month's series, you're going to learn something new about the Christmas story. You'll have a better understanding of it. You'll have maybe a refreshed, a renewed mind and ready for Christmas as it's coming, and simply leave with more joy peace, and less stress this season. Doesn't that sound good? Yeah, right? Sounds so good. Scripture says that on Christmas, an angel appeared and said this, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. No worry or fear. Good news, great joy. Don't you want that? I do. That sounds awesome. So what we're going to do is we're going to dig into God's word today and find out how. But spoiler alert, There are no Christmas trees or decorations or fancy wrapping paper or ugly Christmas sweaters or Mariah Carey or Grandma's special cookies during the first Christmas to make this happen. Those and a lot of the other things are kind of like the icing on the cake for us today. Today we're going to really look at the cake, the true purpose, but let's be real. The icing's yummy. 
The icing's awesome, right? Even though I'm a pastor, I'm no different than probably most of you. I love me some good Christmas extra fun in proportion, right? In proportion. I have family that attend here, and I don't want them to get like, whoa, Aaron's getting crazy about Christmas. Nope. Um, But I'm just as into and dislike many of the same things you do. Like, I believe Christmas music shouldn't start till after Thanksgiving. Who's with me? All right, a few of you, okay. I roll my eyes when it comes to putting on the Christmas jammies with the family. That's, that's kind of me. I avoid putting Christmas lights up outside until it's like too stinking cold, and then I have to do it then. I, as the man, I really like putting the star or the bow or the angel on top of the tree. Uh, I can demolish Christmas cookies at a record pace, and the gifts are great, both giving and getting on a budget, right? On a budget. I even have holiday favorites, as I'm guessing you do too, so I thought we'd just spend like one minute learning each other's favorites for a second. So your favorite Christmas movie, Elf, Christmas Vacation, Die Hard, right? It's in there. <laughs> or Polar Express. Which one's your favorite? Yell it out. Oh, ooh. Oh, oh okay. There, <laughs> I, I, it's, mine's not on there. I'm actually Santa Claus. Um, how about favorite Christmas song? Mariah Carey, Jingle Bells, Mary, Mary Did You Know, or For King and Country, Little Drummer Boy, one of those, or something else? Drummer Boy, oh, Mariah Carey, come on. This, this is like Christmas. How about this one? Favorite Christmas cookie. Is it one of those? Or is there like a special one that's different? Oh, all of them. Oh, yeah. By the way, P.S., we are doing a Christmas cookie potluck on Christmas Eve. So if you'd like to bring a, like kind of your family's favorite cookie uh, for people to munch on and try, um, write cookie on that Connect card, put that in the offering bin, and then we can kind of count on a certain amount of people having cookies here. But yeah, so that's favorite Christmas cookie. How about your favorite Christmas gift to receive? Is it gift cards, that toothbrush, a shirt or a book? None of the, oh, silence, okay. How about your favorite Christmas gift to give? Is it like a water bottle or a coffee mug? Is it some artesian good? Is it a gift card? Or is it that book that you got from someone last year, right? right? The re-gift. Gifts can be a tricky one. Gifts can be a tricky one. Like, do you struggle with what to give sometimes? Or maybe on the other side of things, what to ask for people when they want to give you a gift? Do you find yourself maybe getting caught up and stressing over the gift giving and receiving, worrying about what to buy and not buy, who to buy for and who not, how much to spend or not? I mean, where did the whole stinking gift giving thing come from? Christian tradition would say the birth story and the gifts from the wise men after Jesus' birth. When I say wise men from the Christian story, what do you picture? What do you picture in your mind? It's, it's probably something like this, right? Like three of them, camels, looking like a wizard of some sort, you know, like they got colorful outfits. They each have their own gift, like there's only three, those only three gifts holding that personal gift. Well, let me just say, none of those statements I just said, or images really, are specifically in the Bible. None of those are really in the Bible. So what we're going to do is we're going to actually look at this concept of gift giving, started by, well, let's just call them men right now, men who visited baby Jesus on Christmas, and see like what we can learn specifically on gift giving from them. The way the Christmas story goes, as seen in the Bible, is when we actually have to go back years prior to Christmas Day. Uh, we have to go hundreds of years prior. In the Old Testament, 
the time from the first humans on, there was this promise of a king to come, a Messiah that would come and rescue God's people from their oppression. And many people then, they thought that that rescue was from physical oppression, such as maybe another nation holding over them or an enemy, and that was what God would come and rescue them from. But when you know the full story, you learn it's from spiritual oppression or oppression from sin and death and permanent separation from God. But throughout the Bible, up until the New Testament, there was this pointing of a Savior to come someday, to make things right for everyone forever. Some people saw it and were ready, and some were not. Uh, let me, uh, when, I, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the concept of Easter eggs has anyone heard that term before with like video games or movies? Okay, none of you. I, I had to look this up a little bit because some of you old folk like myself, we maybe need a definition on this. But there's like these Easter eggs uh, or these kind of like messages that kind of give you like a glimpse of things. Here's the definition. It's, it's those little sneaky hidden messages in your favorite film that you love to spot and it makes you go, oh. That was clever, right? So like we're seeing some of that in the Old Testament. To give you a kind of an example of one would be like, did you know there's a Starbucks cup in almost every scene of the movie Fight Club? You're going to have to watch it now and look for it. Or if you're a Disney movie person, a few examples of this is seeing the magic carpet from Aladdin in Moana or Rapunzel and Flynn from Tangled casually attending uh, Elsa's coronation in Frozen. I can't wait to point that one out to my, my daughter later on. Uh, for my Christmas movie people, here are a few examples. Like, did you know the flux capacitor is actually in the Polar Express, just like it's in the Back to the Future? Or how about this one? Like, there's this play on words. Little Nero's Pizza is actually like Little Caesar's Pizza. Um, that's in Home Alone. Or this one, Scott Calvin and the Santa Claus. He wears Converse in every single movie, essentially. But anyways, there are these glimpses of things, and you're like, oh, tricky, nice. But there's these glimpses in Scripture over the history of the Bible that were Easter eggs or, in, in, in another sense, these hidden messages or messages that were spoken by the prophets of what exactly a Messiah would be like. Statements like, he will be born of a virgin. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And he will be a son and for us is another one later on in Isaiah. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. But what happens around the first Christmas time is things start to actually unfold. We see this woman named Mary, a virgin. She receives news from God. She's pregnant. And she knows it's true because she's pregnant, right? Like she starts showing. But then when she travels a distance with her family, Joseph, to Bethlehem, uh, because of a census, they needed to return to his hometown. And they had no place to stay when they got there because Joseph was probably some poor planner or something, but honestly, maybe they didn't even know how long it would take them to travel that distance with a pregnant woman at that time. But everything was booked when they get there is what scripture tells us. So scripture says they find a place that was open where animals were usually kept. And Mary delivers a baby, names him Jesus, places him in a feeding trough, a manger. But a long story short... We can now see where these men and these gifts come into the story. Although we picture it kind of happening on that birth night, it probably didn't. 
It happened within that first year or so of Jesus' birth. But then in Matthew 2, is where we're picking up, it says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. All right, so we're going to pause here for a second. The word Magi means priest or even sorcerer. But in other biblical translations in the English, it's replaced with the words such as wise men. So that's kind of where we get it from today. But it also is used as royal astrologers is what some English translations use. So I'm guessing back then, if you studied the stars, you were seen as a wise person. Who knew? Uh, but anyways, these people, they, they, come, they come from the east, but somehow knew a king, the Messiah, was coming. How? Right? Like How? Well, it says a star appeared. That's what we just read. So it makes sense for them to be astrologers. But, but I'm not an astrologer. And I start thinking, really? Really? Like you saw a special star and you're like, the king of the Jews is coming. Right? Like, really? There's some speculation that maybe these astrologers would have been studiers of timelines and predictions of a prophet to come in, in the book of Daniel or the other prophets of the Old Testament. I'm trying to figure out when exactly this Messiah would come. And they expected a star to come based off of like even some verses, maybe one being Numbers 24, 17. I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future, a star will rise from Jacob. So they're maybe expecting to see a star. We don't really know how they exactly knew it was going to be a special star. But what we do know is they see something and they decide to show up to the king. It says this, when King Herod, so they go to the king of that area, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. Herod is the one the Magi tend to go to when they, when they come to that main area where they see the star, and they're expecting that everyone's going to worship this king that's come. They're expecting everyone to be excited about it. But Herod is not a great man, especially if a new king is coming. To him, that would mean competition. So it says this, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Again, kind of an Easter egg. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So people knew it was coming. They heard these things. And then it says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go to worship him. It's as sketchy as it actually sounds. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen, when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Again, these guys were astrologers, so I don't want to like diss their profession per se, but part of me thinks like, how is no one else seeing this like giant star or like thinking, we got to go see this? Like, whoa, that thing is huge, right? I feel this star maybe was like this angelic or godly encounter that was meant for these three or however many it was, men. But that's just my opinion. On coming to the house, it says, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So we see they give obvious gifts, gold, frankincense, and, and I mean frankincense and myrrh, right? Obvious gifts. These actually aren't 
obvious gifts. These are very interesting gifts, and we're going to talk about the meaning behind it in a bit. But we have two more verses, and then we covered everything there is to know about wise men. It says this, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So they knew Herod was sketchy. It says, again, it's like God showed, uh, in my mind, if they got that, that vision from a dream, it's like they knew, or the guy kind of gave them a hunch, like, don't, you need to stay here or, and then go, but not that specific way. But finally, the last verse we have on them is it says, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem, and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. And that's literally all we know about the wise men and gift-giving to Jesus on the first Christmas. That's it. I don't know if you noticed, but there is nothing that indicates how many came there's nothing that says they were on camels. There's nothing that says that those three gifts that we read about are the only three gifts brought. Nothing that says it was on Christmas night. But what we see is they traveled or went to this person. They worshipped or gave their presence. They offered a gift and then left. When you think of Christmas, anyone love the sound of that? Travel, visit, gift, then leave right? Introvert Aaron thinks that sounds amazing, right? It sounds amazing. Uh, there's a movie, Christmas Vacation. Um, it's a fun movie to watch, but it seems like when the family comes for Christmas, they stay forever. They stay forever. I don't like, how does someone come and stay for like two weeks? And then they like share like every detail. Here's a little scene from it. Check it out. That 40 seconds alone, I would need to resort to my room to myself. Uh, like, that would just be intense. I love my parents. I love my in-laws even. But two weeks or whatever it is, that's a long time. But again, what we see the wise men do is they traveled, they visited, they gifted, and then they left. Now, this isn't an action of Jesus, so it's not like this perfect model expected by us. It's an action other humans did of just living out what they feel is best. But these guys and their actions are where our gift-giving tradition comes from. They're the originals some 2,000 years ago of giving a gift at this time. And I want to assume it was out of pure joy, right? Without obligation, without frustration or stress. So although the process is simple, it is biblical, it's traditional, and it brought joy, which I want. I'm guessing, again, you do too this time of year. So we're going to get really practical like with this model and kind of break it down to start doing it today. And not in a traditional sense for just our friends and family, but also Jesus, our King. That's where it all started, a gift given to the arrival and birth of our King, 
Jesus. So we're going to dig into the concept, starting with the first one, travel or go to them. Part of gift giving is going to the person, right? It's making the effort to personally engage with the person. Like these Eastern travelers, they kind of just started wandering, following a star to find this person. I don't know about you, but that's dedication, right? That's dedication. In the movie Elf, so I don't know if you picked up on it. We're going to have a couple like Christmas movies shown throughout the message today. But in the movie Elf, we see there can be a bit of an overtop model of this. So in our modern context, check it out. All right, uh, let's get it over with. I walked all day and night to find you. You look like you came from the North Pole. <laughs> exactly where I came from. Santa must have called you. Oh, yeah, sure. He uh, just got off the cell phone with me. He did? So, go on. Go on with what? Well, I, are you going to sing a song or something, or can I just go back to work? A song? Uh, yeah. Anything for you, Dad. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm here with my dad, and we never met. And so randomly going across town, following a star on a hunch to get to someone in our modern day context probably isn't something you should do, right? But as you think about your gift giving, is it simply transactional? Like, you make a list of names, you get their shipping address, you buy something on Amazon Prime, front the bill, and ship it to their house, and done. If so, it might be more transactional, not personal. And it's probably what's killing your joy. The original gift giving, it had effort. And not like an effort that felt like this burden, but one they went to do out of desire. For us today, like, are you going to the people you're gifting? For me, like, I'm part of this gift exchange every year that feels kind of like this burden, uh, where I feel or I think, like, I guess I want to still be a part of the family, so I should partake in this, so I should buy the $20 gift and send it to them so I can get my $20 gift. And it's purely transactional, or it has been. But reflecting on it this week, rarely have I gone to them. As in, rarely have I thought about that person as more than just the receiver of the gift. I need to go to them. I need to put effort in. I need to decide what good can I bring to their life through this gift. It doesn't mean you need to fly across the country, but are you at least making the phone call, the message, the uh, going to them, seeking them? Proverbs 3, 27, it says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. If you feel you should gift someone, you have good within you that you are ought to give. So don't withhold a personal touch of how gift-giving originally started. Go to them. Again, for you, do you need to swing by that person's house briefly and drop the gift off? Do you need to set up a coffee to do it? Do you need to plan a Christmas gathering? Do you need to call them up? But the point is you. Go to them. For all these things that we're going to be talking about today, I think they're practical for gift-giving and receiving with other people, but also for God today. The whole concept of Christmas giving, it started with these wise men that we're studying, choosing to give a gift to someone they saw as their king. And it was out of joy. It brought joy to them and the receiver and the whole concept of gift-giving uh, to others. 
it was started by them and still brings people joy 2,000 some years later. Maybe you need to focus on being more like these wise men and going through the first steps of gift giving and bring something to Jesus this year. For Jesus and you today, as part of the gift giving process, are you going to him? If so, where? Is it, is it church? Is it a quiet time away with him and your Bible? Is it doing something more than you normally do because of his special time and season? Is it going to serve his people at maybe a shelter or wherever? As you are about to celebrate the arrival of Jesus, are you going to him? The second thing that we can see the wise men do is they visited. They visited or were actually present. There's a cliche yet very meaningful saying that says, presence over presence. In other words, the present is greater than the present. And it's true for us today, and it was also true in the first Christmas. Firstly, I mean, like, let's just think about it once. The first Christmas, Jesus was a baby, right? He's a baby. Is he happy about the actual gifts given to him? Or more excited about, like, kind of a worshipful face that's kind of, like, smiling at him, looking at him? It seems silly, but that hasn't changed with God. He desires your worship, your time, your presence. There's a movie, it's called Jingle All the Way. Who's seen this one? It's like kind of like a, 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 like a small market one. I don't know if like a ton of people have seen it. But it's about this dad trying to get this sold out, hard to get toy during the season. And he runs into a comp- competition of trying to get the last one. And somehow ends up in a parade against the villain, dressed up as this character. All attempting to get this one toy for his kid. Check it out. <laughs> Just FYI, there are better Christmas movies than that one out there. But the end of the movie is that this kid actually has more fun with his dad's presence. And I'm sure the memory of his dad in the suit of his favorite toy than actually getting the toy. Are you a present or present person? If I'm honest with you, this is a real struggle for me. It really is. I struggle with giving the gift of my presence more than I do an actual gift. Not just this time of year, but all year round. I can Amazon, I can pick up, I can order anything for my girls or family or whoever. I can work my butt off, like earning or doing what I need to do to get them the thing or the experience or whoever, whatever it is they need. I can even put the effort in to make sure that everything is perfect, clean house, right ambience, right things. To give you a real example of this, or a real life example of this, with my two kids, I have two little girls at home, and just an average weeknight, I'll kind of start to play with them on the carpet, and it's usually like hide and seek, or my, my little girls have turned into like these jumping wrestling girls, like they're like going to be on WWE, I guess, like they're just all about wrestling right now. But after about a minute or so of doing this with them, I started thinking about that email I should write back, or things that I should do in the house, like, oh, that thing's broken, I should probably fix that. Or I started looking around the house and I think, this is a mess. I gotta clean this up. 
and I start to clean. I start to do it because I love a clean house, but mostly because I love accomplishment. I like to know that I completed something. It's a tangible task that I know that I can do and get a job well done at the end of it. Whereas continuing to just play and be with my kids, giving them my presence of just being with them, it's not tangible. It's not immediate. I don't see the results of it. It seems even wasteful sometimes to me. Yet the conscious choice of presence is what develops this long-term relationship of something that's lasting the clean room, it gets messy again, right? The toy gets old. But the time built up over and over again is actually going towards something that lasts. That's why God ultimately desires our presence over presence to him. James 4, 8, it says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. If you get close to God, he will get close to you, it's saying. And then on the flip side of this, what does God give us more of? Presence or presence? His presence, right? We feel his closeness, his comfort, more than a physical gift. Sure, we get blessings and physical gifts from God at times, but his presence is constant. It's promised and it's with us as the priority. Today, for you personally, I want to bring you to the thought is, are you giving presence as the first priority or the second whether it be to God during this Christmas time, whether it be to the receiver of the gift you're, you're giving something to, or whether that be seeing the gift that people are trying to give you when they come to you with a gift, that they maybe are trying to grow the relationship with you through their presence. Are you letting them? Recently, I, uh, I went to the doctor for a checkup. Now, checkups are kind of like a new thing for me these days. It's kind of new because growing up, you didn't go to the doctor unless like blood was like squirting out of you or like you bought that over-the-counter medicine and you tried it for like 10 weeks straight and it still hasn't healed you. Then you went to the doctor. So that was me growing up. So for those that are like me, a checkup is when you wake up in the morning and you're not sick, but you still go to the doctor. That's a checkup. Anyways, I see it as this gift that I have a primary care doctor, and I know it's like kind of a tough thing to actually get, so I love that I have this like yearly 30-minute meeting with a doctor who has no real agenda other than to help me. So I get ready. I get ready for this thing. Just FYI, I'm not quite at the age like where the really invasive stuff starts happening. Uh, the most invasive thing that I've had to deal with at the doctor was him saying like, well, let's drop your drawers, Aaron. And then, like, one of the nurses that's in the room is someone who attends church. It's a bit invasive and a bit awkward. I'm not lying. But his 30 minutes of presence with me is amazing. It's amazing. I got a list of questions on my phone for him. I show him all my weird ailments. Hey, can you check this? Can you check this? And, like, a checkup, I'm pulling stuff out of the woodwork, too. Like, I'm like, hey, four years ago, I twisted my arm, and it's still, when I do this, it hurts. You know, like, you know why that would be? And then, like, I kind of, like, I'm just going down the list, and finally, after, like, going, getting to the end of my list, he's, and I'm sitting there, and he's kind of like, Aaron, you can get dressed now. <laughs> As I was so enamored by his presence, right? Now, I say all this, in no way am I advocating for you to get undressed, like, when you have the presence of God or others or someone else uh, gives you a gift. But the point is, prioritize the presence and see the gift it is to you as the giver Give presence. As the receiver, 
see the presence one maybe is trying to give to you. And as a Christian, respect God's presence and give him yours. Countless times in scripture, we see people give God their presence. And that was what God desired. Scripture says he even sees loving others and giving them presence as similar to being with him. In Mark 12, 33, uh, it says this, To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Presence and love and connection are more important to God than offering. Is that how you approach this season? That presence is first. If not, Maybe you need to talk it over with your immediate family about what kind of gift giving you want to do this year. Like for Sydney and I, my wife and I, like we're adults, so like we buy what we want all year round on Amazon or wherever it is. But we choose to do a vacation or an experience around Christmas time because we want each other's presence during it. Maybe for you and your extended family, you, you should try that or could try that. All right, so so far what we've covered is the example of gift giving. It's important to give to the person. It's important to give them presents, or it's important to go to the person. It's important to give them presents. And then the third one is gift. With all this front work ahead of time, they do still give a gift, the wise men. Gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, it says. Now, some of these gifts are obvious, right? Like, great, but some are not. For example... Then, like now, gold was cash. No one complained about cash. Like, sweet, cash. Frankincense was a type of incense or perfume. It could have been used for temple offerings, even used like, by priests in the Old Testament. But it was like this precious perfume, one that no one would really complain about having. So it was good smelling. And then myrrh, that's kind of weird. It's kind of a weird one. It was a perfume used in ancient Egypt in the embalming process. Yee. No offense to like the giver of the gift, but why does a baby need embalming? Has anyone gotten a gift? You're like, why? Right? Like, why? <laughs> it reminds me kind of of the movie The Christmas Story where Ralphie gets this gift. Check it out. My feet began to sweat as those two fluffy little bunnies with the blue button eyes stared sappily up at me. Come down here so I can see you better. Okay, so maybe myrrh's not quite that bad, but, but the theory of myrrh and actually all of the gifts that were given to Jesus has a foreshadowing of Jesus' divinity and death. An old theologian, Augustine, he states this. He says, gold is paid to the mighty king, frankincense as offered to God, myrrh as to one who is to die for the sins of all. So they gifted him, starting with gold, something of royalty, worthy for an earthly king, yet sacrificial to give on their end. Next was frankincense, or an incense. It was something priests used. Back then, priests were the ones that went for people, for the, the sins of the people, to God and asked for forgiveness and made things right. Priests did that. So they needed perfume and incense and all these different things. But they're giving Jesus what they would give a great priest with kind of a belief that maybe he could cleanse the sins of people. And then they give myrrh. 
something used for death. So it's something that believes in the future existence and achievement of the person. Jesus dying on the cross on behalf of others and needing embalmment. Giving these specific gifts, at the very least, what they do is indirectly show these wise men are declaring their belief in Jesus as the Messiah. They're believing that he's the king. The king who will go and make things right for all people by bringing an offering and will die for them. All of these three gifts, they speak value and belief. Now, I share all this today, not because you should start giving them like one of these three gifts. That would be kind of weird. But it's worth thinking about. When you give, do you give something that speaks highly about the person or to the person? It's worth thinking about, right? These gifts, they brought joy and they started the gift-giving tradition. Today, you maybe know the perfect gift to give someone that they are absolutely going to love. Go you. Like, yay, you're awesome. But if you're lacking ideas or even joy in your giving, maybe you need to start giving a gift the way that started the whole gift-giving tradition, one that speaks highly of the person. Maybe, maybe for you it's a college fund for that person, or maybe it's a, a more advanced toy or a more advanced like, thing that's going to help them in the future. Whatever that is, give them something that's meaningful and speaks to who they are. Last but not least, in our gift-giving process, that we see by the wise men, is they left. They left. In my mind, what that means is it wasn't a loaded gift. Like there wasn't this, hey, I give you this, so now you give me this. It wasn't, they weren't expecting anything back. There wasn't this gift of, hey, I'm moving back home with you, you know, that sometimes parents get in the holiday time. Uh, these men, they, they didn't say, save me a place in heaven. It wasn't any of that. It was simply an act of respect, desire, and awe. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Is that what your gift giving is these days? Cheerful, without pressure or compulsion? I get it. I get it if not. Because I'm there with a lot of the gifts I have to give this year. But if you're like me, how do, how do we get back to that, of being cheerful about it? Is it maybe finding respect for that person as in who they are? Is it finding joy that what you've decided in your heart that you think or want to give to that person? Is it finding and reminding yourself that giving is good, no matter who it is to? As we get close to wrapping up this morning, we've studied the first gift givers, the wise men. My hope is that you can have some of the same passion, joy, and respect that they did, whether it be to your friends, your family, or your God this season. Again, we saw they traveled, they visited, they gifted, and they left. For you to rediscover joy, to regain Christmas spirit the right way, when it comes to gifts, do you need to maybe rethink doing one of these things? Again, travel, going to the receiver, by phone, the text, by visitation. And when it comes to God, are you the one going to him? Are you going to him? Visited. Are, are you actually spending time with the person you're giving a gift to? It doesn't have to be forever, right? But time of giving your presence. When it comes to God, are you giving him your presence during this holiday? If so, when? When do you plan to do that? Gifting. Are you gifting appropriately? One that is a sacrifice, one that's good, that shows who that person is to you? When it comes to God, are you doing that for him? Like, are you giving maybe some of your time or your finances or your praise or your joy or even respect this year? And then finally, do you leave? 
Do you leave without expectation? Do you give without expectation of something in return? When it comes to God, do you give without the expectation of blessing? I want our church to be full of Christmas spirit this December. And I hope this very simplistic message is one that you probably didn't get anything new out of it today or haven't heard, like, there's nothing that's shocking out of today's message. But my hope is it's one that gets you in the Christmas spirit the right way, the biblical way. Would you pray with me as I close this? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for giving us just a, a clear example of some of the things that go on during Christmas and how they do really fit into the Christmas story of your birth. God, I just pray that whatever it is that maybe we're, we're at with gift giving, I just pray that we can, we can model some of the things that the wise men did and we can find joy in going to you and giving you a gift, whatever that gift maybe is. So God, I just pray that we can reflect on the real meaning behind this year, this season. And God, I just pray that you have us get close to you during that time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.